0: and welcome back to faithful my name is emma
1: my name is christina
0: uh and welcome back it's another episode consecutively like on time you know
1: yeah i'm glad that this episode is coming out on the day that it does because that means that it'll be like calendar wise almost the best possible day for this to air
0: (laughs) oh good i'm excited what are we talking about today christina
1: well, Emma, because you didn't see the episode title. Uh today we're talking about Joan of Arc. Oh, I'm so excited. And I'm very glad because this episode is coming out the day after her feast day, which oh, is fun. May thirtieth. Are you gonna do anything for the feast day? Um I mean I might. I might see if I can like live stream of like a mass in her honor or something oh, if sure. there's a church that's doing a special mass for it. Mm-hmm. Um Part of the thing is that, like, a lot of the, I don't know, there's there's certain, like, saints in the Catholic Church where, like, if it's their feast day that's supposed to be celebrated, or is an optional celebration, mm-hmm. there'll be, like, a different set of, like, readings from the Bible to use and stuff for that mass. Sure, sure. So I don't know if there would necessarily be one for Joan of Arc, but I really hope so because I'd like to watch it. <laughs> sure, yeah. I hope so, too. Yeah. Um, cause it is, uh, I, I don't know where, where did, where would you like to start? I have like a very rough outline of things (laughs) we can talk about.
0: Um, well, I don't have a lot of notes, but they're not especially structured. (laughs) Well, I think I'll just start with, I don't know how that this is probably not going to lead into your notes at all, but, um, I've talked, I talked about this on, uh, Wayward but I... Help um, for
1: regular Seas, which is my podcast, which
0: Emma has been on. Yes, it was a good episode. Um, so as a... a child is, is the wrong word. As like... <laughs> I was probably in high school, freshman or sophomore year. Um, I had a blog. A roleplay blog for Joan of Arc as a knight oh, museum OC. Oh
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. I forgot uh, I
0: forgot about <laughs> that, but that is still very good. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, it probably wasn't very. I definitely. It's not great. It's certainly not good. I don't think I gave her the the respect that she probably deserves as a um I like, mean, actual saint that means things to people.
1: I'm not offended because Night at the Museum is not an especially uh, let's just say reverent <laughs> uh, franchise to be making an OC in sure, yeah, like That's they're, they're respectful of things that are super important, but everything is taken with a big old grain of comedy. Mm-hmm. so right
0: yeah, yeah. Um, so I did I remember doing a lot of research to figure out like what her personality should be like and how, so mm-hmm. that I could write her better. Um, but that was a long time ago, and I don't really remember any of it, so I'm excited to uh, relive it again.
1: <laughs> Believe me, I, I am sure that I'm going to have a lot of information to impart to you, but also I have a surprisingly long list of, like, what's uh what are things that Joan of Arc has, like, appeared in. Sure. I'm excited. Okay, um here's how I'm going to be laying this episode out is Mm -hmm. first going to do kind of like a basic, like what, what information should a a lay person maybe know about Joan of Arc? And Mm -hmm. then second, uh, as accurate of a historical, like documentation of her life as I could find in my searching today. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And third, kind of we can talk a little bit more about like what kind of an impact she's had and also like what was what was she about like spiritually. Sure. And then and then fourth is gonna be all of the fun stuff that she's appeared in. (laughs)
0: Because
1: she Joan of Arc has a has like been depicted in so many forms of media that she has her own Wikipedia page about it. Oh, cool. (laughs) Which I appreciate seeing. (laughs) Well, I'm excited. Let's get right into it. Okay, um, I also should start this off with the major disclaimer that I am I am very passionate about a Joan of Arc mostly because um, in in the Catholic Church when you are going through the Rite of confirmation, which for me was eighth grade so about age 14, 15 um, you are uh, required to choose a confirmation saint who is kind of like your your guide through who is kind of intended to be, like, your spiritual guide kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. Obviously, you know, people take that at varying degrees of seriousness. Um, But I chose Joan of Arc partially because um, my my middle name is Marie, which then kind of automatically disqualified me from taking any of the saints named Mary (laughs) (laughs) as a confirmation saint because (laughs) Christina Mary Marie doesn't sound really good. (laughs) Um... But also because I'd be lying if it wasn't also because Joan of Arc was a soldier and carried a sword, which was important to me at the time and is still important to me. <laughs> um, but, you know, now as an adult, I I have, a, I have a special devotion to Joan of Arc because she's not only does she carry a sword, she also, you know, was incredibly passionate and well-versed and overcame a lot of uh, a lot of adversity in her life yeah and she she had a very strong sense of you know justice and she was very attuned to doing god's will all of which are things that i would like to be and or have (laughs) sure yeah yeah so this is this is christina's stan episode (laughs) (laughs) um okay so basic facts about joan of arc First off, Joan of Arc is the... It is the anglicized version of her name. That's what I was going for. Okay. Um, her her actual name was... Was... Uh, was Joan d'Arc. And I really hope I pronounced that right. I listened to Google Translate say it about five times. <laughs> um, if it was wrong, I apologize. I am just going to be calling her Joan instead of, you know, Jean or Joan. Because... I I have grown up my whole life calling her Joan and I'm less likely to goof up Joan. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's um, yeah. um, her nickname was the Maid of Orleans. Um for the US, that's Orleans <laughs> <laughs> Um, which in French is La Pousselle d'Orleans, which is, you know, fun. Um she lived from sometime in 1412 uh, to May 30th 1431. She was 19 when she was uh when she was executed. <laughs> um her feast day is May 30th. Already said that, but I'm going to say it again. Um her attributes, so the things that she's kind of like most commonly depicted with are obviously her suit of armor, um her sword and her banner. Um Her banner, I'd like to take a moment to note, um, it is a white banner. It's usually a pennant, you know, like the triangular banner and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, And and hers is depicted with a lot of uh, fleur-de-lis. Oh, yep. Which are, you know, one of the national symbols of France and are used a lot in heraldry for the French monarchy. Yep. And the banner also depicts Jesus seated and attended by two angels. And on the banner is inscribed uh jesus uh, jesus maria so jesus and mary mm-hmm. um joan of arc is the patron saint of france martyrs captives people ridiculed for their piety and prisoners i don't know why wikipedia which i was pulling this from uh decided to make a distinction between captives and prisoners because they're <laughs> i'm sure there's some kind of distinction that was important to the wikipedia editor at the time whatever <laughs> Okay, so that's like the basics that I, I that's the basics that I figured we would start with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so here goes the um the historical background part. Feel free to inch out to me with questions at any time. Yeah, because it's do. probably going to be a uh, pretty capital C chunky. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I also should note that a lot of the a lot of my sources of information for this um is a actually it's like a nine. It's like an eight or nine part video series by the YouTube channel Extra History that did a, they did a really neat video series, like animated video series, based on Joan of Arc's life and like the historical events that surrounded her life.
0: Wow. So it
1: was, it was really neat. And it's actually like, it's really well researched and also pretty impartial. Cool. Like it's not, you know, leaning on the side of the English or on the side of the French. It's also pretty secular, but hey, that's what we're here for. (laughs) Okay, so... We start with the Hundred Years' War, which was England versus France. From, like, the 1300s to the 1400s. Mm -hmm. I didn't write down the exact years because it's not especially important. During this time, during this long conflict, King Charles VI of France... Um, he was in charge, but he wasn't doing an especially good job, mostly because he had some kind of mental illness that, to this day, we still don't know exactly what was wrong with him. Um, he, w- he was the king of France who had the glass delusion. <laughs> oh. That he thought he was made out of glass, and that he was so fragile that anyone t- who touched him would break him into pieces, and so he had iron rods sewn into his clothes. <laughs> Whoa. yeah. Yeah, mental health was, um, not his strongest point. No. (laughs) Um, since he was not especially fit to rule, um, this caused a pretty long succession crisis in France. Um, the biggest players that are relevant to the story are, uh, Charles VII of, of Orléans. Yes, I pronounced that right. Um... Our Charles VII of Orléans, who was Charles VI's nephew, and um, a whole bunch of people that were allied around the French region of Burgundy. They were led at various times by a duke named John the Fearless, but also also they ended up allying with um, the actual reigning queen of France, uh, Isabeau. I think she was from uh, uh, Queen Isabeau. I don't remember what country she was from. Sorry to be. Um, so during during this succession crisis, um, the two sides, uh, those favoring Charles the Seventh, who called themselves the Armagnacs after the region that they were headquartered in, and the Burgundy, the Burgund- Burgundians. I think, yeah and the Burgundians, who were, you know, allied around the region of Burgundy.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: The Armagnac faction ended up controlling a lot of the south of France, and the Burgundians occupied the north of France, which was important because the north of France has both, uh, both I think, Rheim. I'm really hoping that's correct. Maybe it's Rheim. Um, including Rheim, which is the... Location traditionally that had been used to you know actually like anoint the kings of France as you know like being like divinely coronated and stuff uh-huh. and also Paris is in the north of France, both of which are incredibly important, <laughs> right um so the Burgundians decided to ally with the English forces because they wanted to. Make France run more like England was at the time, so more focused on like commercial farming and and like sheep, and less on you know like subsistence farming kind of a thing. Sure. Queen Isabeau, uh, who at this point had allied with both the Burgundians and the English, um, claimed the throne in the name of her infant grandson Henry the mm-hmm. Sixth, who at the time was also a he already was like the heir apparent to the throne of England and she just said no he gets France too. <laughs> and the Armagnacs said, no, uh Charles the Seventh gets it because he's technically closer than than Henry the Sixth is because he's a cousin and not like a and not like a grandson once removed or something like that. Okay. Mm-hmm. And obviously, you know the the infant wasn't the infant wasn't fighting in this scenario. People were fighting on behalf of the infant Henry VI. Sixth, <laughs> right? Um, but they kind of fought back and forth across a lot of France. Um, in particular, uh, the city of Orleans was particularly under siege, as it was really important on the supply route to get stuff to South of France, which was where the Armagnacs were, mm-hmm. and it was. It was very definitely a losing battle for the Armagnacs, because, you know, when you have have the might of an entire extra country on your side um, versus someone fighting with half a country against a country and a half, it's not an incredibly fair fight. Right, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, here's a break in my notes. Got any questions? No, not yet. (laughs) Okay, cool. Now we get to actually talk about Joan of Arc. Good. So, all of that's important to know, because Joan was born in Domremy, France, which is now called Domremy-Poussel, which is, if you remember from earlier, Joan's, like, nickname. They they, they said, no, Joan is important, so she gets to also be part of the town name. <laughs> Joan's family was, you know, obviously peasants, um, but I think her, if I'm remembering correctly, her dad had a minor role in, like, the town government. Okay. Um. So you know they had, they had some power and responsibility, but about as much as you could when you were a peasant sure. in 1400s France. <laughs> Makes
0: sense.
1: Um. Joan, by all of the accounts that have survived, um, was you know a pr- was you know a good kid. She worked on the farm, helped her parents out, spent a lot of time working as a shepherd, but. Of course, because, you know, she is a saint. Um, she began having visions. Uh, they started in 1425 when she was 13. And she called these her voices. Even in the documents, like, from her heretical trial, they were listed as being her voices with a capital V. So I'm going to refer to them as the voices. Mm-hmm. Um, but they were, they were ha- there were three of them. One, which was St. Michael the Archangel, Um, who is the patron saint of police officers and also guardian of the Catholic Church. Um, if you ever, like, if you've ever watched a TV procedural, like, St. Michael is the one that the police officers are always, you know, like, oh, hey, the one Catholic officer is wearing a medal of St. Michael kind of a thing. Ah, gotcha. Um, St. Margaret of Antioch, who was the patron saint of peasants, exiles, and falsely accused people. Sure. And Saint Catherine of Alexandria, who was the patron saint of girls and maidens, she is the Catherine of the Catherine Wheel, where they tried to tie her to like a wheel and roll her down a hill to kill her. Oh, <laughs> didn't <wow>. work.
0: <laughs> that seems like a really roundabout way to kill somebody. A oh, <laughs> not not purposeful,
1: but I'll take it. It's okay. By Joan's account, uh, her voices began speaking to her when she was 13 and pretty much never stopped. I, If I'm remembering correctly, they may have spoken to her, or if not every day, then a lot of the time.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, in her first vision, um, her first encounter with the voices, uh, they appeared to her and told her that she needed to drive out the English from France and to take Charles VII to Rheim, where he would be consecrated as King of France. She received that that divine order when she was thirteen, but she did she either didn't or probably more likely couldn't do anything about it until she was sixteen. Right. When she was sixteen, Joan went to uh, Vauclier, I really hope I pronounced that right, <laughs> um, which was the the nearest town that had any kind of military presence. And she asked the garrison commander if he would uh, escort her to go meet uh, Charles the Seventh. He said no. <laughs> so she said, okay, and then came back later for take two, which was where she befriended two of his soldiers uh, and told the soldiers something that ended, something that would happen at a battle that was currently ongoing. Mm-hmm. And her prediction was proven true, like... Three or f- three to five days later, when they actually, you know, got a message from th- from the military forces that had been fighting in that battle, that proved her prediction true. Weird. Yeah, I mean that's God's providence for you, right? Sure. <laughs> um, this this convinced the two soldiers to help escort Joan to meet with Charles the Seventh. Um, on this trip she this was the first time that Joan had to disguise herself as a as a man or a boy um so she did you know the traditional like cut the hair short kind of a thing and wear men's clothes uh-huh. um It was notable that she did this mostly for the ease of travel because people were less likely to either attack or to be concerned at a at a, a young boy or a page traveling with a group of armed men rather than you know a
0: teenage girl, <laughs> right,
1: that makes a lot of sense. yeah, and also apparently the the men's clothing at the time was tied together with a lot of laces, like think think of it like boots were tied to the pants which were tied to the to the top. Oh, so very hard to get on and off,
0: which means very hard to be sexually assaulted. <laughs> I mean, you know, you gotta do what you gotta do out there.
1: Yeah, yeah. Which was so that was the justify most of the justification in her wearing men's clothing. Um, so she was able to get to this town called, I think it's Shannon. Um, once she was there, she ended up meeting with Charles the Seventh. Um, there are a couple of accounts of different kinds of veracity that say that when Joan got to go meet Charles VII, he hadn't been expecting her or didn't think very highly of her yet. And so he just hid in the crowd like, as a he pretended to be a normal person and she apparently walked up to him and said like, hello, like, essentially like hey, you're the Dauphin. And he said no, I'm not. And she said, yes, you are. <laughs> and he said, okay, you got me. <laughs> um, They I'm, I believe that it was at this point that they probably had a discussion about, you know, her divine mission. Um, because it also, I also should mention that, you know, having someone appear and say, you know, like, God has, God has blessed your, your future reign, and I am here to be the messenger of this divine blessing. Like, that is, Charles was losing at the time, and this is a very important morale booster to both him and his forces. Sure, yeah. <laughs> um, so she asked for his permission to accompany a trip that was going to Orléans with a lot of relief supplies. Um and he agreed, but before she ended up leaving, first he had to do like a full like a f- full hiring check on her.
0: Sure. <laughs> like
1: they they did a background check. Like they sent someone to her hometown of Domremy to ask and All the accounts came back saying, "Like, yep, she is." And I quote, "Possessed of the virtues of humility, honesty, and simplicity." (laughs) And they, of course, because it was fourteen twenty eight or fourteen twenty nine, they had uh, they had a at least a couple of noblewomen or nuns or someone um, check to see if she was a virgin or not,
0: which she was.
1: Um, it was important. To something that I'll bring up in a sec. Um, but they also had Joan be interviewed by a group of theologians from one of the local universities. Okay. Uh, this was because they were trying to figure out, like, is she really
0: here on a mission from God? Mm-hmm. Or
1: is this something that could be the work
0: of, say, the devil? Sure. I, you gotta check. You gotta know.
1: Yeah. And their results were less conclusive. Um, they did tell Charles that they thought that Joan was acting on God's orders, but they weren't 100% sure. So they said, why not test her by sending her to actually see if she can lift the siege of
0: Orleans?" <laughs> <laughs> I mean, sure. Yeah. I guess worst case scenario, you're in the exact same terrible position you were before. Yeah. So
1: since since everything had come out in Joan's favor in the background check, uh, she got the job. She got some on-the-job training by they gave her some basic training in military tactics that and like um, military tactics and presumably also some basic martial training. Not she wasn't especially on the field to be a fighter, but I'm assuming they taught her how to defend herself.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And also um, they outf- they gave her a full outfit. <laughs> of ex- of entirely donated gear <laughs> like she got donated armor a donated horse a donated sword a donated banner donated like other kinds of equipment and like everything she had was donated to her by someone else which i think is honestly fun
0: that's cool
1: <laughs> yeah um i should this is the point at which i think i'll mention that at the time There were a bunch of, there were at least two separate French prophecies. Um, The first one was that France would be saved by a virgin from the borders of Lorraine who would work miracles, which fits Joan's description. There we go. Yeah. And also, France will be lost by a woman and shall therefore be restored by a virgin. So the woman is Queen Isabeau, who like said, yes, England, hello, come here. the virgin is joan of arc obviously right since i just had to mention her virginity (laughs) so when when joan got to orleans it was april 29th of 1429 someone wrote down the date thank you someone in the past (laughs) um when she got there it should not surprise anyone to learn that joan was not um respected or paid attention to by by Jean d'Orléans, who was the commander of armed forces trying to defend the city. So there were a couple of um, there were a couple of, I guess, skirmishes, you could say, that uh, that were enacted before Joan was allowed input in the tactics. Um, Obviously, those skirmishes did not go super well. And Joan was an advocate for pretty strong direct assaults. mm
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, But once the commanders started listening to her, um, she was actually able to lead the Armagnac force to victory in several assaults that ended up uh, lifting the siege on Orléans. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, she, this is where I think she took her first, like, her first battle wound, which was, um, she took an arrow to the neck and, to, like, the neck and shoulder region. Oh, wow! So, like, right up near the clavicle. That's, ooh. But, as, and she apparently also, like, stepped on a caltrop. <laughs> as soon as those got bandaged up, she was back on the battlefield to help inspire the soldiers to victory. Wow. Um, her her being able to lift the siege of Orléans, which at this point had been going for, I think, seven months. Wow. Um, was obviously a giant morale boost to the French, and it made the English think that she was possessed by the devil. <laughs> <laughs> sure, yeah. Because they didn't like losing. No. <laughs> Okay, so after lifting the siege of Orléans, uh, Joan then went to assist um, John II of Alencon in leading the army, the army of the Armagnacs, say that five times fast, <laughs> uh, as they worked on clearing the way to Reim. Um, They were able to do so, including one encounter in which they defeated the English forces because they were all preparing to sneak up on each other in a forest, and a deer jumped through the English lines and spooked them all so the French knew where they were. <laughs> Which, there have been sillier victories, won. <laughs> so anyway, they got to Reims, and Charles VII was consecrated as king of France on July 16th of 1429. So literally, Joan shows up, lifts the siege of Orléans, and then a month and a half later, <laughs>
0: Charles is crowned. Wow, that's incredible.
1: Yeah. After he was officially crowned, um, Joan and John II uh, advocated, like, let's just let's just take our armed forces and go straight for Paris and liberate it from the Burgundians. Um, but instead, uh, they tried to do politics, um, and the Burgundians and the Armagnacs tried to work on a peace treaty. Um, they ended up uh, the, Burgund- the Burgundians ended up violating the terms of the treaty by using the dull time to help shore up the defenses of Paris. Uh, um, so, Joan and the Armagnac forces assaulted Paris. <laughs> um, they were unsuccessful. Um, during this assault, uh, Joan spent- Joan was pretty much on the front lines for as much as she could. Um, one account has her spending most of her time in the inner trench of the Paris battlefield, so as close to the wall as she could. hmm Um, At one point, she was injured and then had to be physically removed from the battlefield so that she could be treated. (laughs) (laughs) Which, you know, we support a leader who leads from the front lines. (laughs) Absolutely, yeah. Uh, The Armagnac forces at that point, um, they were able to reclaim a few more French towns. Um, They also ended up suffering some defeats along the way. Um, By the end of the year, on December 29th of 1429, Uh, Joan and her family were ennobled by King Charles VII. Um, And the only reward that Joan asked for was that, was that Domremy not be taxed. And he agreed to it. And so they were not taxed until the French Revolution in the late 1700s. That's incredible. (laughs) It's incredible. And I'm like, we support, we support fair taxes. Yes. (laughs) So sometime in 1430, I believe, uh, the English and the French were trying to come up with a peace treaty and truce. Mm-hmm. During this time, since there weren't a whole lot of military campaigns for Joan to take part in, um, she spent the time composing at least two letters. Um, composing because, I say because she was illiterate. <laughs> when they taught her military texts, they didn't bother teaching her how to read. <laughs> right. Um, but... She wrote one letter to a group of Catholic heretics condemning them for being heretical against the Catholic Church. And she even wrote a letter to the English saying, Look, why don't you stop fighting the French who are also Catholic and we go fight these heretics instead? (laughs) The English apparently never replied. (laughs) Um, When she was able, or when there were armed conflicts for her to assist in again, um Joan ended up being captured by the Burgundians during the siege of of Compiègne as uh they were they were trying to rescue a city and they were but they were being forced to retreat and because Joan was a good leader she stayed with the rear guard of her company as the rest of them were retreating at which point the Burgundians surrounded Joan and she had to be forcibly pulled from her horse's saddle. Oh <laughs> So the Burgundians put her in prison. Um, At one point, she tried to escape captivity by jumping out of her prison tower and where she fell 70 feet to the ground. Oh, my God. She survived. (laughs) Um, She survived long enough for the English to buy her captivity from the Burgundians for 10,000 livres tournois, which I'm assuming was, you know, the currency of the time. Yeah, yeah. So they had, the English said, we hate this girl so much, we're going to buy her captivity from you so we can put her on trial. Wow. Yeah. So the English moved her to Rouen, which is another town in France, and they put her on inquisitorial trial. Wow. Um, there's a quote from uh, historian Beverly Boyd, which is that the trial was meant... To get rid of a bizarre prisoner of war with maximum embarrassment to England's enemies. Ah. <laughs> which, is, which probably tells you all you need to know about how well this trial is going to go and how fair it's going to be. Right. So the people that were taking part in this trial were exclusively English and Burgundian, like, members of the Catholic Church. So everyone here was on the side of England except for Joan. Wow. Yeah. And they were trying to put her on trial for heresy, because they needed to find a way to, you know, disprove all of the miraculous work that Joan had done in, you know, rallying the people of France around King Charles VII, and
0: leading them to victories in military combat, and the English were being sore losers about it. Right, yeah. I mean, like, yeah. you know, you wouldn't want to hear that, like, your god is helping the other side of the war. It's pretty hard to, like, look at that and say that, oh, am I, so I'm, like, I'm in the right, or no? Yeah, am (laughs) am, am
1: I the jerk here? No, I can't be. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So this, this trial took, had several stages. Like, first, in order to, like, officially open proceedings, they had to have evidence of some kind of wrong behavior, so they sent people to gather testimony about Joan, but they could not find anyone who had bad things to say about Joan of Arc, who was not, you know, English or Burgundian. Right. But even though they had no ill testimony about her, they went ahead and opened proceedings anyway, which made it technically an invalid trial. This will be the first time that comes up of many. <laughs> um, they didn't give her any legal help. So she was her only witness and her only defendant. Wow. <laughs> and they note that she made it a point to ask for French clergy to be on, like, to be on the panel for the trial, and they said no. Wow. Yeah. Um, and also, apparently, they were threatening the clergy who were taking part in the trial that if they tried to help Joan, they would be, you know, condemned or harmed themselves. Wow. <laughs> so... Uh, threatening of the jury. Also not great. (laughs) No. Um, at that point, they began kind of questioning Joan. And a lot of it was focused on her, on her religious beliefs. Mm -hmm. Because they were trying to determine whether or not she was a heretic against the Catholic Church. Whether or not anything that she'd done had gone against church teachings. Um... So the, the, maybe the best example of this was when they asked Joan if she thought that she was in God's grace. So whether or not she was going to go to heaven when she died. Not if she died, when she died. <laughs> so if she had said yes, that she believed that she was in God's grace, they would have accused her of, they would have said that she was guilty of being prideful. If she'd said no, then that would mean that she would have been guilty of committing some other crime over the course of her military campaign through France. Huh. And her words, the words of this, the words of, I remind you, an illiterate, uneducated peasant girl were, if I am not in God's grace, may God put me there and if I am, may God so keep me. I should be the saddest creature in the world if I knew I were not in His
0: grace. Oh wow, that was like an unwinnable situation, and she did it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> please, pro- please provide your own air horns, everyone.
1: <laughs> and like so much of the trial went like this, that she was being beset by all of these, um, by all of these religious questions about things that. She didn't really have any kind of education in, but she was so thoughtful and witty. In her, in her speech and Mm -hmm. stuff, that she was regularly stumping the clergy who were trying to put her on trial. (laughs) And it happened so frequently that they closed the trial to public audiences because they didn't want to be made fools of in front of everyone.
0: Listen, young religious people are just like that. Like, they just know how to ask, like, the exact questions that will, like, throw theologians off their horses.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I should also note that, uh when they like when they were first beating the trial they said like will you swear to you know tell the whole truth and then she said like yes i i will tell the whole truth about everything that i have not already sworn an oath to keep secret so like she she wouldn't tell the court about exactly what she had been told in her in her conversations with her voices mm. and she wouldn't tell the court about things that she had spoken of in confidence with king charles the 7th sure which sense. made them very mad, <laughs> yeah, I bet, <laughs> yeah, um, which obviously they were not happy, <laughs> um, I also should mention here that Joan was being kept in captivity in a secular prison and being guarded by male soldiers mm. they, and she at this point, she was still you know wearing men's clothing because you know it was a lot safer. And so they tried to accuse her of being a heretic for wearing men's clothing because it went against something in the in the Old Testament. I'm sure it did. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm sure that it was. And so she agreed to like wear a dress when she was being in front of the court, but then uh she was sent back to her cell still wearing the dress and then and Joan said that someone tried to rape her, so they let her they let her put her men's clothing back on, but then they counted it as a relapse into heresy. <laughs> Oh my god. Um at some point, um she got sick, but she was still so resolute that they tried to threaten her with torture.
0: Oh my god.
1: But they were concerned that if she was tortured that she would die from it, which would then, you know, be on their hands. Mm -hmm. So they so they stopped threatening her with torture. Close to the end of her imprisonment, um the bishop who was in charge of all this, uh Bishop Cachon. He apparently managed to, um, pressure, uh, of confession out of her to get her to recant, you know, everything that she'd done in God's name. Um, so, she, she recanted, but then, three days later, called him back and said, actually, no, I, I take back my recanting, I did everything that I said I did, and it was all in God's name, suck it. (laughs) So, since she had withdrawn her recantation um the inquisition (laughs) uh they executed her they burned her at the stake um as as she was being you know killed um an english soldier lifted a cross for her to look at and apparently her last word was jesus which is terribly tragic yeah it is um and the english hated her so much that once she was dead They completely cremated her body so that there would be no relics for people. Oh, right. To to like to be an evidence of her holiness. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Which we should do a whole episode on relics. I would actually like that. Yeah,
0: we'll
1: have to put that on the list. Yeah. (laughs) For the quick quick summary, a relic is usually an artifact from a saint's life that is uh, either used for veneration or. Is reputed to contain some part of, you know, like their essence. For for some people, it's like, hey, this is this is the saint's finger. This is all we have of them. But also, in some cases, it's like, hey, we have the entire incorrupt body of Saint Catherine. Right. So it it can be all kinds of things. Like also, the Shroud of Turin is technically a relic. Okay. So, Joan died in 1431. Um, 20 years later, in 1452, um, there was actually a retrial of her. Oh. Um, pope Calixtus III, who was a pro French pope, mm-hmm. um, He assembled a tribunal, um, and they all got together and they decreed that Joan of Arc had been unjustly tried. And that she was, in fact, innocent of heresy against the Catholic Church. (laughs) (laughs) And that, in fact, Bishop Cauchon, who had been in charge, was the heretic and not Joan. (laughs) Wild. Yeah. So they, so they cleared her name. Uh, however, it wasn't until 1920 that Joan was canonized as a saint, uh, By Pope Benedict XV. So it took her a real long time. Wow. Um, I should note here that if you're interested in learning about Joan of Arc, it's really interesting because there are so many primary sources. Like, there are five separate original manuscripts taken from her condemnation trial— and also the entire rehabilitation trial with sworn testimony from hundred and fifteen witnesses who were, who knew Joan in life.
0: Oh wow! <laughs> like
1: all of that has been saved. <laughs> That's incredible. I didn't. I didn't have time to read it for today, but it's out there, and I might at some point, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, any questions before I go into like a couple of cool anecdotes? Um, I don't think so. Okay. So, here's some cool stuff. Um, there is a ring, um, that is supposed to have belonged to Joan of Arc, that was returned to France from England in 2016. Whoa. Like, it is, it is a pretty simple silver ring. It was, it's inscribed with IHS for Jesus and MAR for Mary. And... It was apparently given to Joan by her parents, and then she was allowed to wear it throughout her imprisonment, and she handed it to an English cardinal, Cardinal Henry Beaufort, before she was executed. And then I guess it just got passed down through the ages until it ended up in an auction house in Great Britain, and then it was returned to France.
0: Wow. <laughs> so, like, I really hope that's true, because that's cool. That is really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Here's a fun
1: story that may might be apocryphal, might not be. Um, Joan of Arc may have had a cool sword given to her by God. Nice. We love that. Um, according to a couple of sources that I read, which, you know, not primary sources, but whatever. Um, her sword had five crosses on the blade which was apparently pretty common at the time. It was like a maker's mark or something. Mm -hmm. Um, But what was special was that Joan was guided by her voices to find it, where it was buried behind the altar of the church of St. Catherine de de Fierbois. Whoa. And people thought that, people were like, maybe this was buried there by Charlemagne's grandfather when he got done with his military campaign. Wow. And... I th- one of the versions that I saw said that King said that King Charles the Seventh was trying to bestow some honor upon Joan, you know, like do the knighting ceremony thing. But he needed a, he needed a sword to, of hers to use for it, and she said, "Go to this church and dig around the altar, and you'll find this sword." And apparently, they found a sword. That's incredible. <laughs> <laughs> Which is incredible, according to one story. Um, she used it to chase prostitutes out of the military camp.
0: Whoa. (laughs)
1: Yeah, which is, um, I mean, not great for sex workers, but it's a cool story. (laughs) That was a face you made. (laughs) (laughs) I do also have records of the miracles that it took for Joan to be elevated to Blessed and then into sainthood. (laughs) Okay, great. Interestingly enough, all the documented ones are from miracles that happened to women. Oh, that's awesome! Which is, you know, on brand. Um, there was a Sister Therese who was cured of leg ulcers. There's a Sister Julie Gauthier, uh, who was cured of a cancerous tumor in her left breast. Um, Sister Marie Sanier who was cured of stomach cancer. Amazing. Um, a lady named named Therese Berlin, or Therese Berlin. Uh, who was cured from being in a coma because of tuberculosis. Whoa. And also then a lady named Mirandelle who had a hole through her entire foot that was healed. Wow. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I like the fact that Jones Jones most recognized miracles besides, you know, France. Mm-hmm. Were ones that happened specifically to women. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, um, obviously Joan of Arc has had, you know, a, a lot of impact in modern culture. And women have always looked to her as a role model, myself included, mm-hmm. obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, some phrasing I found that uh, I really liked was she operated within a religious tradition that believed an exceptional person from any level of society might receive a divine calling Wow, which is like hey this could be you <laughs> um, and she set an example to the point where you can f- find a lot of female identifying activists who have been called you know the modern day insert culture here version of Joan of Arc Right, yeah, like for sure. the Joan the Joan of Arc of Somalia, the, jo- the Joan of Arc of Union workers, kind of a thing, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which is like, that's real cool. Yeah, yeah. Um. And there's a really good quote that I'm gonna read here, which is from her. I think it's from her accusation trial, um, which is. I do not fear men-at-arms. My way has been made plain before me. If there be men-at-arms, my lord god will make a way for me to go to my lord Dauphin. For that I am come. Which frequently gets adapted into, I am not afraid. I was born to do this. Oh, sure. Yeah. Which actually was the quote that I put on my mortarboard at graduation from college.
0: (laughs) I think that was my Tumblr description on my blog. (laughs) Nice. Nice. Okay, so any questions before we get
1: to talk about all the cool places that Joan of Arc has appeared in media and culture? Honestly, no, I think you covered a lot of it for me. I know I covered a lot of ground, so like, <laughs> if you have any questions, please feel free to ask me. If of I course. have questions at this point, I'm screwed. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I made a nice long list here off the Wikipedia page, um, so I'm just kind of going to run through it. All right. Uh, Joan of Arc has appeared in two separate songs that were popular during World War I. Okay. One of them is called, uh, Joan of Arc, They Are Calling You, which has lyrics include, Joan of Arc, Joan of Arc, let your spirit guide us through. Come lead your friends to victory, Joan of Arc, they are calling you.
0: Mm
1: Mm-hmm. And the other one was just Joan of Arc's answer song. Um... There's a lot of literature and plays that are about her life or that involve her as a character. Um, in particular, I want to spotlight um, the Histoire du de- de Siege d'Orléans, which is a passion play, actually, that was made less than 15 years after her death. Oh, wow. And the Catholic Church said that people who attended the play. Uh, could receive it as a minor indulgence to help expiate their sins.
0: <laughs> interesting. So
1: you get to learn, and you get a better chance of going to heaven. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's a book called uh, Personal Recollections of Joan of Arc, which is a fictional biography that was written by Mark Twain. <laughs> oh, interesting. And it's apparently, like, the most serious of Mark Twain's published novels. Makes sense. So I put that on my list to read, of course, obviously. Of course, of course. Um, there is a very popular play by George Bernard Shaw, which is called St. Joan, which is, you know, the story of her and her trials and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, interestingly, uh, listed on Wikipedia, there is something called The Seraphic Dialogue, which was by choreographer Martha Graham, and it is a dance dialogue of Joan of Arc's life And her conversations with her voices, the saints. Oh, wow. (laughs) Which is really cool, and I want to see if I can find, like, a performance of it. Yeah,
0: that sounds awesome.
1: Um, she's been the subject of a lot of operas and a lot of paintings. Most popularly, uh, Joan of Arc at Prayer by John Everett Millier and Jean d'Arc by Albert Lynch. Um... She's lot she is lots of statues. She has lots of biographical films.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um Joan of Arc makes a cameo in the 1989
0: movie Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. She sure does. She sure does. I love that movie. That she's great in that movie. I've actually never seen it. Oh my so. god. I mean she has like no lines because she speaks French. And so mm-hmm. but the boys think that she's awesome. Like Bill and Ted think that she's great. And Good. Yeah. I mean she's yeah, she, she doesn't talk very much, but she's very, like, gung-ho about things. I think she, like, maybe, like, finds, like, a Walkman or something and, like, discovers, like, music and okay. stuff back in the that 80s. Okay, would,
1: that would explain, Um, because actually the next thing that I have is, like, appearances of Joan of Arc in the song. <laughs> um, one of which, I didn't write down which song it was, but one of them does mention Joan of Arc holding a Walkman, which has to be because of Bill and Ted, I guess. probably. <laughs> um... Joan of Arc is mentioned in the song She's So High by Tal Bachman, which has lyrics that go, she's so high, like Cleopatra, Joan of Arc, or Aphrodite. Okay. Um, She's mentioned in the song uh, Wonderkind by Alanis Morissette, which is off of the soundtrack to Chronicles of Narnia, Oh. Um, where the lyrics are, I am a Joan of Arc and smart enough to believe this, which oh, is great.
0: I love those lyrics. Those are good lyrics. It's.
1: It's good. Wonderkind is a great song. And very, very recently, um, Allie and AJ put out a song called Joan of Arc on the Dance Floor, (laughs) which is my May song on my 2020 playlist. (laughs) Um, The lyrics of which go, Joan of Arc is on the dance floor. At the stake, we don't fight the flames. Are you born in vain if you die your savior? And also then knights in armor hide under eyeliner. And I'm like, that's a, it is a great song. That sounds really good. (laughs) It's rad. I think I sent it to you. Oh,
0: I think you did. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's good. Um, TV appearances. Joan of Arc was on Wishbone uh, in the episode Bone of Arc, which is based on Mark Twain's book. They had to do book references, I guess. Okay. Um, Joan of Arc was a character in Clone High, the animated TV series.
0: Never heard of it.
1: Um, essentially it's like, hey, what if we were able to make clones of all these people from history and put them all in high school together to see how much like their previous selves they turn out to be. Interesting. It's weird. I think Tanner's into it. Talk about it with them if you want. Sure, yeah. Um... Also, I should mention that there is an entire TV show called Joan of Arcadia, um, which will at some point have its own episode on Faithful, where <laughs> it's, what if Joan of Arc was a high schooler on the West Coast and God manifested by appearing as various people to help her improve the lives of others?
0: Oh, wow. That's really interesting. It's,
1: uh, it sounds really rad. I think I've read a bit about it. Um, as far as video games go. Joan of Arc appeared in – this is extremely selected, by the way. She's in a lot of video games. <laughs> um, Joan of Arc appears in the World Heroes series, where she, you know, wields a sword and has pyrokinetic powers. Awesome. Which is like, <laughs> but okay. <laughs> um, there is an entire PlayStation Portable game based on her story. It's called Jean d'Arc. Um, so it's her story, but more, more of a fantasy kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, she is mentioned in Assassin's Creed 2 as having had, uh, the piece of Eden called the Sword, and then the Templars burned her to death for it. Because <laughs> I guess the Templars are just everything bad in Assassin's Creed, but whatever. Yes. <laughs> um, and in the game Fate Grand Order, she is apparently a couple of different kinds of summonable servant and ally. I don't, I don't play that kind of a game, so I'm not sure quite what that means, but that's, uh, that's what it is. Sure, yeah. Okay, and now for the wildest poll of appearances of Joan of Arc in media, she's a Yu-Gi-Oh card. That's
0: awesome, and
1: I have it.
0: Oh wow!
1: Hold it up for you.
0: Oh, she's her character art. I really like that art. She's a fusion.
1: She is the light attribute. Uh, she has seven star power rating, whatever that means in (laughs) Yu-Gi-Oh. Um, and she is a fusion of the Forgiving Maiden and Marie the Fallen One, which is, like,
0: accurate. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that just makes sense, yeah.
1: Yeah. Funny story about this card. (laughs) I found it, and I have no idea where it came from. Oh, that's really weird. Like, here's Christina's anecdote for the episode. (laughs) So, in, I think I found this card in... I found this card somewhere between 2005 and no, it was it was in 2005. Mhm. Cuz my I found this card in the drawer of like an end table at our house. Oh. And it was just loose in in the drawer along with like two other extreme like rare and or holographic Yu-Gi-Oh cards. What?
0: Did anyone in your house play Yu-Gi-Oh?
1: Only my brother and I, and by this point, we were pretty much out of Yu-Gi-Oh. Right, yeah. So I have no idea how this card came into my life, but I have it. That's great. (laughs) Like, if the heart of the cards is not God giving me a trading card of my patron saint, I
0: don't know what is. I mean, that just makes sense to me. I think that's probably what happened.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's it's super rad, and I have a Yu-Gi-Oh card my patron saint. <laughs> I'm gonna put her back up there where she's been sitting by your by the video the whole time.
0: <laughs> I bet Joan of Arc would like Yu-Gi-Oh if if she was here today. I mean, hopefully, if she could read, she'd
1: like it. <laughs> yeah, that was that was a capital L lot of information. Um... Anything that you want to talk about or hit on with Joan of Arc?
0: I genuinely, I don't think I can think of anything you didn't touch on. Again, I don't, I don't have a lot, I don't have nearly as much background. I didn't do almost any research before the episode, but, um, thank you so much for bringing all of that here. I'm sure if, if that was too fast or too much for anybody listening, you know, listen
1: to it on half speed
0: <laughs> or like quarter speed or sure whatever. <laughs> Excuse me,
1: what were you going to say? I don't remember. <laughs> Yu-Gi-Oh cards, heart of the cards, Joan of Arc, things that you things that you wanted to talk about about Joan.
0: I think I was just going to say that, um, you know, I hope that this episode maybe inspired you to learn more about Joan of Arc or think of her in a different light than you did before. Like, I know that I mm-hmm. personally, like, you know, like, I knew that she was a real person, but especially, I don't know if you, anybody listening listened to our uh, King Arthur episode. To me, she seemed mm-hmm. just kind of like this mystical legend that may or may not have actually existed. Mm-hmm. But obviously, like, she no. did. <laughs> <laughs> she lived. Yeah.
1: <laughs> in, in the Wikipedia article about, like, her portrayal and culture, there's, like, there's actually, like, a marginalia doodle that someone made like while she was alive of like, they, they drew Joan of Arc based on the description that they had of her. And it's like, look, she existed.
0: (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah. I, I'm,
1: I'm an especially big fan of things in my faith that I have, like, that I actually have physical proof. Sure. I, I, I believe things that don't have physical proof, but it's also real great when they do. Oh sure, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean I guess that's it. Like I'll I'll probably link to the extra history video series on Joan and probably also to a couple of like the information sources that I had. Yeah, it's great. um when the episode goes up. But I mean, I highly recommend learning about Joan of Arc, especially in a faith sense. Um,
0: what was that song that you liked as well?
1: Uh, which one? Joan of Arc on the Dance Floor or yes. uh, Wonderkind? Uh, either one. <laughs> yeah, maybe I'll like to both of them. Who cares? Tag, I'll tag Ellie and AJ and get them to listen to our faith <laughs>
0: podcast. <laughs> um,
1: but yeah, I... I should note that it, it might be a little bit difficult to, like, learn about Joan of Arc's spiritual life, mostly because the main records we have of her are from her heretical trial, and she wasn't um, especially chatty about them, probably because she didn't have the language to talk about her spiritual visions. Sure, yeah. Um, but, I mean... I think she's a great spiritual role model, and obviously you might, the too. Catholic
0: Church did as well,
1: so yeah, <laughs> and despite that fact, no one ever remembers Joan of Arc. oh no every like every All Saints Day, there's always like a big, long litany of saints that get read or sung, and she's never listed oh, and I think oh. at this point i just I think at this point I just have to go to a church. That is dedicated to Joan of Arc to hear her <laughs> name be, be read. It's like, I support you. Okay, now I'm out of my water. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Maybe that's a good sign to wrap it up then. <laughs> yeah, probably. Um, Before that, would you, so you say you would uh, recommend Joan of Arc as a concept?
1: No. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes, what am I talking about? Yes, of course
1: I do. <laughs> I I really enjoyed going and learning a whole bunch about this, especially because I can almost certainly guarantee you that when I was choosing Joan of Arc as my confirmation and patron saint, I didn't do nearly this much research. (laughs) But now I can just appreciate it more. And I have a lot of things to read. Yay, that's so
0: exciting. Oh, we love that. All right, well, to go out into our outro, uh, Faithful, as always, is a part of the Corner Podcast Network. We can be heard on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Pippa, and any other place where you can find podcasts. Uh, our theme music is Start of Something Beautiful, courtesy of Ketza. Uh, and we can be reached through an email at faithfulpod at gmail.com. That's faithful with two L's. Or through our Twitter at faithful2lspods with an S. And since we're, we're, you know, a podcast. We would love it if you talk to people about us. <laughs> since, since we're an indie podcast. An indie podcast, yeah. You know, if this topic, uh, you think interests somebody else or perhaps our, uh, King Arthur episode, you know, I know you know somebody that was really into Merlin in 2012. Send them that podcast. <laughs> you know, just, just spread the word. We love it. And, uh, if we, and please tell us if, if you do so we can thank you personally. Uh, and just, like, interact with our tweets and talk to us. We just love hearing from you and uh, interacting with yeah. our fans, so.
1: Yeah, we we issued this challenge in the last episode, um, but I'm going to say it again in this one. If you listen to us, we would love to
0: hear from you. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, we'd like to get to know our listeners. Yeah, absolutely. Tell us, like, about your faith journey or, I mean, if you're comfortable with that, obviously you don't have to, but, you know, just, like, Whatever we just like like to know who you are and I think it'd be fun. So, do uh, you have anything else to say, Christina?
1: Uh, nope, that's it. I kind of I kind of talked myself out
0: over here. I think that that's <laughs> totally fair. <laughs> All right, well then, uh, until next time, keep, keep the, the faith. faith.
1: Everything just fell off the back of my chair. One sec. Oh, it's her. All good.